The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? But I now can look back at all of it, like all of the pain, all the trauma, all of the loss, all were ultimately the entry points, the invitations for me to actually come home to myself and to do the healing work that I'm so deserving of, that we are all so deserving of. And for so long, I looked outside of me like, doctor, fix me, make me better. Husband, fix me, make me better. Daddy, fix me, make me better. You know, medicine, fix me, make me better. And nothing outside of us can ever, quote unquote, cure us and fix us. Thank God. Because if it did, I would never have done this work. I would have never come home to myself and done the deep dive and woken up and woken up to consciousness and woken up to the connectivity of everything and woken up to the mind-body connection and realizing that this healing was all is always for me, that we were created to heal, that our bodies, our hearts, our spirits, our emotions, like we are, our bodies are so wise. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with the ever so lovely Ruthie Lindsay. Y'all, when I first heard Ruthie's story, it shattered me into a million pieces and then somehow beautifully put me back together. Her story is so inspiring. It's filled with so many highs and lows, but this undercurrent of beautiful resilience, resilience that comes from surrendering, resilience that comes from trusting her inner guides resilience that comes from her life experience. And I hope that you guys walk away feeling the same that I did. I'm, I'm sure that you, um, that you will. Just a few little announcements about things that are going on over at Recovering From Reality. Um, we are dropping merch. I'm so excited to finally be dropping merch. I want to celebrate my 1 million downloads by creating some beautiful merch for you guys. We're going to be doing hoodies. And of course, there'll be the Nancy Joe. This is Alexis Nyers calling crying face cell phone covers. You name it. We're doing it. The and so it is the works. And I just want to say thank you because without you guys sharing this podcast, without you guys and your commitment to your personal growth, every single week listening to this podcast, sharing it, um, leaving reviews, joining the Facebook group, I wouldn't be here with a million downloads. And I'm just forever grateful. So I'm just riding the wave of gratitude right now in awe of the community that we've built here. And it really is a community. If you guys aren't in that Facebook group, we get raw and real. And I think that it is absolutely epic. Another announcement, my life reset course is pretty damn amazing, I have to say. Um, if you guys aren't following us on Instagram, you can at Life Reset Course. And there's plenty of amazing little tips and bits of info on there. But if you're ready to take a deep dive into your subconscious belief systems, if you're ready to take a leap of faith to change your life, this course is for you. And I don't say that lightly. This course has changed um, so many lives. And I'm so grateful that I finally took the plunge and did it. So if you're looking for a sign to change your life, this is it. Hi, I'm your sign. Um, I hope you'll join us. It's literally just $39 a month. It's a 12-month long commitment. There's a live like face-to-face -face call with me and my mom every single Sunday. And 
Yeah. So we have a great time. We are doing the work and I think it's absolutely epic. So for one more month, the Life Reset course is $39. And then because I'm adding, um, oh, and did I say that there's meditations in my ASMR voice? Yes, there are. But yeah, so it's one more month for $39. And then because we're really beefing up the course with a lot of new content, it's going to boost up to $50 a month. So that's four Zoom calls with me a month, the coursework, meditations, the works. So with that, um, I'm going to let you guys dive into this episode. I love you all so much. I'm sending you so much love today. And I hope that you're making this an epic week for yourself. All right. You guys know that I'm all about self-care, but today I want to talk to you guys about something that's equally as important, sex care. As you know, I'm all about being the best version of myself, whether that's through fitness, wellness, nutrition, relationships. I just don't stop when it comes to sex. Evan and I have been having more date nights in than ever before, obvi, quarantine, and sex is one of the things that I think is really keeping us sane. Thanks to Woo More Play, we're having more fun than ever before. Woo More Play is an all-natural sexual wellness brand that takes your sex life to the next level. They've got it covered from start to finish with their coconut love oil, their freshies, and now quickies, so you can take your better sex life on the go even if that's just to the living room right now. I always use their freshy towelettes before sex because they're made with coconut water and they smell fucking amazing. So I always feel confident, especially after a quickie between Zoom meetings. You know what I mean? These days, I'm even keeping them in the car for an easy way to clean my hands between grocery runs. For the best sex ever, you have to try Woo's Coconut Love Oil. It's made with organic coconut oil and even though we use it for everything from foreplay to sex, to massages, or whatever. Guess what, guys? It's edible. Yep, that's right. It's edible, and it tastes amazing, like a vanilla cupcake. No joke. I highly recommend testing this one for yourself. And if you love the love oil like I do, Woo's new quickies are a game changer. They are these cute, perfectly portioned packs of the love oil. So all you have to do is rip off the top and get going. No mess, no cleanup. Sign me up. Head over to woomoreplay.com and use code reality for 20% off your order of woo. That's 20% off your coconut love oil and the freshies at woomoreplay.com forward slash reality or use code reality at checkout for 20% off woomoreplay to start spicing it up today. Trust me, you'll keep coming back for more. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'm so excited to have you on. Your story brought me to tears. I think I cried. So I, list, I heard you on Caitlin's podcast. Oh. I think I must have cried for like 80%, probably like 80% of it. Because you know what? It's messy and beautiful and gut-wrenching and all of the things. But again, it, it leaves you with that, like, it, it breaks you apart and then, like, kind of puts you back together, <laughs> if that makes sense. So with that, I would love it if you just went to, like, riff and share your story. And if there's anything where I'm like, wait, we've got to, like, talk about that more, I'll let you know. But please, please share with us. So you want just kind of like an overview of my story? Yes. Okay. I would love that. Yeah. So basically um, what I get to share about in my book, I mean, this will be an overview of it, but I um, grew up in South Louisiana on a farm and had, you know, we had our hard stuff just like everyone else, but a lot of just a lot of beauty. And I 
felt very loved. And I grew up with older brothers and um, just being on the land. And it was just really special. And I, you know, before you have hard things, and I think as kids, I just, I thought most people's lives were just easy and great and happy. And I mean, I was just clueless, completely clueless. And I just assumed everything would turn out great for me. I mean, I had this very privileged idea of what life was going to look like, you know, and it wasn't until I was a senior in high school and I uh, pulled out in front of an ambulance who hit me on my car door going 65 miles an hour. And I broke three ribs and I punctured my lungs and my lungs collapsed and my spleen ruptured. And then I broke the top two vertebrae in my neck and I had a 5% chance to live and a 1% chance to walk. And he was able to help save my life. And I was in the hospital for about a month. I was on life support, the whole shebang. And after I was stable enough and off of life support, they went in to do my spinal cord surgery, which um, they took bone from my hip and fused it into my neck. And back then they used wire and spinal cord fusions. That was just the common practice back then. And so, you know, I was very lucky and I had health and youth on my side. And I left there after a month walking with a big old neck brace and half my head shaved. And I mean, that happened on November 2nd, which was my dad's birthday, my senior year. I was able to go back to school after Christmas and like graduate on time. I mean, besides the neck brace, like looking at me, you'd never know, like all my scars are hidden from my clothing or my hair, you know? And at the time I didn't really have any residual effects. Like I would dance and get sore. But other than that, like, you know, I would talk about it very in a very disassociated state, which I didn't know what any of that was, but I would be like almost in third person, like, oh yeah, it was way harder for my family and my friends than it was for me, which was just my way to like cope, you know? And I graduated, went to college, um, still very, very, very disassociated, definitely dappled with eating disorder stuff just trying to stuff my feelings because I had no idea how to process trauma or hard things. Or, you know, I grew up in the South and it's just like, you smile and be pleasant and pretty and kind. And, you know, that's just how I was. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you keep on going. That's right. Right. And you just, you get real shiny out there and smile even bigger. And, you know, so I learned that and I took it on as like law. And graduated, uh, moved to Nashville, met my first boyfriend, and my parents were like convinced I was a lesbian, so they were super stoked that he did not have a vagina. I'm like, I <laughs> my girls, that would be such a dream, but it's not my journey. But God, what a dream! Um, so again, so so I um, we were just sweet little earnest idiots. I was like involved in the church trying to be this like, quote unquote, good moral girl. I worked at a church at the time. It was like 80 billion lifetimes ago. And we ended up, we were such idiots. We got married literally 10 months after we met because we felt guilty about having sex. I mean, bless him. Like he was my first, I had kissed a few people. I mean, I'd never even slept in a bed with another man. Like I was completely clueless about all things. And so the idiots that we were got married and about a year into that, you know, we just felt real hopeful about our lives together and just all the things that were going to work out for us and dreams of all the children we we're going to have and all the children we'd adopt. And I wanted to have like every color in my home and like all these just idealistic ideas. I toured with him. And um, about a year into that, uh, I was. I mean, it was so random. I was like walking in front of this. There's a Smoothie King and a Starbucks right beside each other. And I was walking out in front and this crazy shooting pain went up my head. And at the time I remember thinking like, did I just get shot or was I struck by lightning? Like it was that severe and that strong. And it knocked me to my knees and I um, blacked out for a second, was left with this crazy migraine, like inky, dark, spots in my eyes. It was so scary. It was so freaking scary. I'm like, what the hell just happened? That pain, that shooting pain started happening more and more regularly, which was terrifying. So started going to see doctors. Every time I'd see a new doctor, they'd have me get an MRI. MRI film would come back and there'd be this like black spot on my film. And they'd say, oh, that's just the magnet, the machine from the MRI interacting with the wire from your fusion. 
everything around it looks fun, you know, started me on therapies. I didn't know to ask what is underneath that spot, you know, and therapies, nothing helped. They started me on narcotics and I took everything they recommended because I was in so much pain. I'm like, please help me, you know? Yeah. And And at that time, you're so young still. You don't know. You're just like, I'm just going to do whatever the doctors are telling me to do, thinking that, the you know, well, this is just maybe what everybody does in this circumstance. 100%. And I was brought up again in that culture where adults are always right. The authority is always correct. You just, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You know, I never even crossed my mind to, to advocate for myself or ask for more. And I was also so disassociated that it really didn't cross my mind. I didn't, I, I couldn't dig in to what was going on in my body at all. I was so out. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Thrive Market. As you guys know, I'm a Thrive Market member and I absolutely love it. They're delivering organic and sustainable groceries right to my door, which is so great considering the fact that we're in a pandemic and I don't want to go to the grocery store. I've discovered some of my favorite paleo foods from Thrive Market. And I love the fact that the app is so easy. I literally just have to type in paleo or you can type in vegan or whatever into the search bar and all of my different options just show up right in front of me. As a proud Thrive Market member, I get the products that I love and my paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, a teacher, veteran, or first responder. Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diet values like paleo, keto, or plant-based. They are delivering the highest quality organic and sustainable essentials from groceries, healthy snacks, meat and seafood, clean wine, non-toxic cleaning, bath and body, and so much more. As a member, I'm saving 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices and their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. The savings I get on my favorite clean organic products are amazing, but I also get to feel great about supporting communities in need. In addition to membership matching, Thrive Market has raised over $750,000 to date through their COVID-19 relief fund. That is absolutely incredible. Right now, you can go to thrivemarket.com slash reality and join today. You'll get a free gift of your choosing up to $22 in value. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash reality to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. Thrivemarket.com slash reality. For people who don't understand what disassociating is, so it's amazing what our brains do to protect us from trauma. It really, truly is. A lot of people ask me, I was abused in my early childhood pretty severely. And a lot of people go, well, well, how did you not remember everything that happened until you were a teenager and after I got sober? And when the brain is flooded with so many chemicals all at once to try to survive, it's, it goes into you know, preservation mode. We've got to do whatever it takes to make it through this. We end up disassociating with our reality. Now, this can happen for some people in minor ways. For example, my sister was similar to you. We had a really, we had the same childhood. I had more abuse, uh, sexual and violent abuse in my household happened to me than her, but still very chaotic childhood, right? She was like, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And she really felt that that was fine until just the last couple of years. Or it can be more serious things where you completely black out trauma, period. And if if you feel like you're dealing with this, anybody who's listening to this podcast, there is so much hope and there's different modalities. The one that I found to be the most beneficial was EMDR, getting that brain Um, working in a crossover pattern to go back to those memories and to process through that. But I just want people to really understand that disassociation is serious because what you were telling me is that you were disassociated and then what happened was you started to have physical symptoms in your body. And there's that great book. I'm sure you probably read it when the body says no or the body keeps score. 
Exactly. Yes. And it's, we leave our bodies to stay safe. And so I, EMDR has been so huge for me, but also embodiment practices. Like I do nonlinear dance in my body. Our bodies are so wise and have for every one message our brain has for our body, our body has 10 messages for our brain, but we're so, most of us, let's just be real are walking around because life is fucking hard. Earth school <laughs> kicks our ass. And so we're in these pain bodies that are traumatized. So most of us are staying above our necks. You know, we're in our heads all the time, future tripping, you know, regretting things of the past and we're not present in our bodies. And so I do somatic therapy, just things that get me back, bring me back into her that, you know, these vessels that have been holding us and loving us and like ultimately calling us home to ourselves. But that's all been just in the last few years. I mean, I I think I was disassociated most of my life, honestly, up until recently. So it's been such a beautiful journey. And you're so right with like EMDR and these practices, our limbic brain doesn't know time. So we can go back into these traumatic experiences and care for ourselves and reparent ourselves and love ourselves and take ourselves out of super fucked up traumatic experiences. And our brain doesn't know that that's not exactly how it happened. So it's almost like I heard in this, I went to this place called Onsite, this emotional wellness place. They're like, it's never too late to create for yourself a beautiful, wholehearted childhood. Because our brains are, this is like, it sounds woo-woo, but it's actually science. Like our brains don't know the difference. It's so amazing and so cool. But anyway, back to the, um, the thing. So totally disconnected. I started taking all the drugs. Basically my life just came to a big halt. I started living in my bed. Everything, I stopped showing up to work. I stopped being able to show up as a partner, as a daughter, as a friend, as an aunt, as a sister, you know, everything became about my pain because I was in such debilitating physical pain. I had no idea it was also emotional pain, but so much debilitating physical pain. And that went on for like four and a half years and they just give you more and more drugs because the pain was so gnarly, you know, and uh, all I did was watch horrible television and eat my feelings and take narcotics. And finally, after about four and a half years, um, this one doctor was like, you know, I can't tell you what's happening until I see what's underneath that black spot. And I was like, oh, So basically this $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires from the previous spinal cord fusion had broken and pierced my brainstem. And I am, which is your reptile brain. Like if you're on life support, they're keeping your reptile brain alive. That's like the most primitive. That's the most basic. I'm the only human in the world that's ever had that. I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be breathing. I shouldn't have brain functioning. I'm much less walking and, you know, dancing and speaking all these things. Um, I'm so lucky to be here. And I mean, it was terrifying. It was so scary getting that message, obviously getting that, you know, like news. And we knew that I was like this ticking time bomb that I had to have this surgery, but insurance wouldn't cover it because it's pre-existing. And so my dad, who we called Papa was going to come see me. And I want to just like side note, share a bit about him. My dad, um, just this like larger than life, magnetic, beautiful soul. Like Alexis, his eyes like glowed. (laughs) It's hard to describe. He just was the brightest shining. Like if he walked through that front door right now, I'm telling you, you would just want to be in his presence because his presence made you feel so loved and so seen and so held and cared for and like you're so special you know like you feel like you're the most special I'm tearing up because I'm like what's that like as a child to have that (laughs) I'm like that must be really amazing (laughs) a privilege and such an honor and I didn't know that everyone didn't experience that from a daddy you know like I walked in the room his eyes just lit up I mean just lit up and what a gift to give your child you know And so he was on his way to come see me. And also another thing that every time he'd leave my brothers and I, when we were children, he'd say, I love you so much. Remember your manners, always look out for the little guy. And that was his thing. He's like, he wanted us to look out for the people that everyone else missed and dismissed and to enter in and like love them. 
not just like notice, but enter in, right? So um, he had told my godfather and my mom that he was going to come see me and tell me that he'd sell our farm so I could have the surgery because again, insurance wouldn't cover it. And he stopped to visit our Amish friends on the way, which is like a halfway mark because we have Amish friends. Like he literally plowed our garden with a mule. Like he did everything the way the Amish did it. He did his garden the same way as the Amish and he'd go stay with them every two or three months as his like vacation because he loved it so much working the land. And he's such a trip. And we don't know exactly what happened because he was by himself, but um, I get a phone call and he had fallen down a flight of stairs and he ended up passing a brain damage. And, you know, it was just, it was such a deep, deeply traumatic, painful um, loss. Like I, I just remember I would lay in my bed at night and I would just pinch myself and pinch myself until I was literally bleeding. So I'm like, wake up wake up. You are in a nightmare. This cannot be real. Um, it was so, and I was so not okay already, you know, that this just, it felt like a trauma. Um, I felt so abandoned. I felt like God must hate me. Yeah. It was, it was a very dark, dark, dark. It's in those moments that, and I've had so many of those moments. So I have an amazing relationship with my higher power today, but it is these moments where you're like, you can't possibly be real if this is the reality, you know, and that those moments that just shake you to your, that, like I said, that just break you open and you're like, how am I ever going to stitch back the pieces Hmm. now at this point, because I know that eventually you separated with your previous husband were you guys still married oh yeah 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 and we were for a while after that too you know can you imagine how hard that would be I mean we were so young when we got married and then this pain this craziness me totally checking out and he was not in a great emotional state when we got together either so like yeah oh can you imagine how hard that would be like I, I can't even begin to imagine how painful that must have been for him. Oh, it was so hard. My dad passed. I was traumatized. Um, I had to have this surgery. I was this ticking time bomb. Something beautiful that happened in the midst of that is my godfather set up this medical fund in my dad's honor. And um, knowing that that was his final wish, you know, and this crazy amount, the full amount of money was raised for me to have the surgery because people would be like, your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad sent me on my senior trip. Your dad fixed my roof. Your dad paid my rent. Your dad got me into school. I mean, just on and on. And we did not have much growing up at all. My godfather's like, yeah, he would take out loans so that he could help people and serve people. And that was just, that was his heart. And so the way that he had showed up and loved people so well ended up ultimately paying for me to have this surgery because of his love, you know? And so he did take care of me and it was just, it felt like such an honor and such a privilege to be that man's daughter. I love my morning routine. I wake up and I immediately brush my teeth. I wash my face. I grab some tea and turn on music. I take my dog out for a walk and then I get my kids dress fed and out the door. And I couldn't do that without a good night's sleep. That's where Brooklinen comes in. I can't tell you how excited I am to get into bed at night now, guys. And that's saying a lot because I'm a busy mom of two kids and I'm constantly exhausted. I'm like crawling into bed every night at 8.30 p.m. But I'm even more excited now because of these amazing sheets. I literally feel like I'm going to bed at like the four seasons, but I'm not. It's my own bed. Brooklinen provides high quality sheets at a low price. Founded in early 2014 by husband and wife duo Rich and Vicky Fulop, they wanted to make beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. Today, they are on a mission to make you comfortable. Brooklinen was the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers and directly with customers. There is no middlemen, just great product and service. All luxury products without the luxury markup. 
They have a variety of sheets, color patterns, and materials for your lounging needs. There's even more to love, though. Right now, a friendly Brook Linen rep is ready to chat with you about any and all questions that you have. Over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, Brooklyn and Sheets are the perfect place to start making your mornings great. Brooklyn is so confident in their product that all bedding comes with a lifetime warranty. Get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use promo code reality only at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. So I... I ended up seeing all these different doctors. Everyone had a different idea of how to do the surgery because no one had ever done it before. I was like heavily pursued by doctors because they love that shit of being the first one to do something. And I ended up choosing Mayo and this like top orthopedic, top um, neurologist did it together. And they were like, we hope it'll help with your pain, but we're doing this. I mean, they wanted me to live and be able to walk and, you know. And so they went in, I'll spare you all the details. It's all, there's a lot more to it in the book, but, um, it was really hard. It was really painful. I would have told you I lived at a 10 before I had that surgery. And then I was like, just freaking kidding. I had no idea that pain could be that severe. And it was just really hard for them to get my pain under control because I didn't take, I mean, it probably would have taken like a sedation of an elephant to like get my pain under control. Cause you've been on opiates for so long at that point, five years. Yeah. And so, um, they went in, they took bone from my other hip. They removed just the piece of wire that was in my brainstem, not all the pieces that were in my spinal cord, because that would have been too dangerous. And then they refused it with titanium screws. And they were like, they didn't know if I would make it out alive or walking or, you know, just what would happen when they removed that wire. And so I left after a little over a week, again, half my head shaved, another neck brace, more freaking titanium in my neck. and my neck looking more like a toaster oven than a spinal cord, but I was walking and I was like holding the wire that had been in my brain. Um, and so eternally grateful to be able to walk and be here, but I ended up getting really severe spinal cord damage in that surgery. And actually my whole entire right side just felt like it was like literally on fire, like flames fire. Like one time my right foot was like standing in fire ants and I didn't know it, which if you're not from the South, I don't know if you know what that feels like, but it's, I've been bitten by one of those fire ants. It's hell. Like my whole right leg was just covered in fire ant bites. And I didn't know it. I didn't notice because that's what it always felt like. Right. And I was disassociated. So, um, I walked right back to my bed was on even more drugs. I was on the highest level of fentanyl patch they give dying cancer patients. I was on morphine. I was on hydrocodone. I was on Lyrica, Ambien, Trazodone. I mean, listen, name it. (laughs) This sister has taken it. And I just didn't want to hurt all the time. And somehow miraculously, I didn't abuse it, which is pretty miraculous when you're in like debilitating chronic pain and emotional pain, you know? So that went on for like two more years. So when, after about seven years, which apparently things in sevens are like, now I'm realizing happened. Um, so seven years have a complete total nervous breakdown, which was my second. I'd had a mini one while living in my bed. And the second one was like the first really big, big, big nervous breakdown. I stopped sleeping. I, my husband was done at that point. He was on tour in Australia, couldn't deal with it anymore. So my marriage was coming to an end. I missed my dad every second. I caught C. diff in the hospital for an endometriosis surgery, which literally took me over the edge. It was so bad. I kept ending up in the emergency room and I couldn't take care of myself. And so anyway, I had to move home and the shame, like the stories, the limiting stories that I told myself that my dad would be so ashamed of me, that I was a burden, that my family couldn't handle me, that I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life and live in that bed for the rest of my days in these four walls, that everyone's life would be better if I weren't here. I mean, over and over, I would have panic attacks all night long and thinking of these stories of how it was like this blanket of shame was just covering me. And all I could think about was falling asleep and never waking up and how much better everyone's lives would be without me. It was so dark and so horrible and so scary and just the end of my rope, you know? And I mean, I can't imagine how terrifying that was for my family to see me that way. Um, They wanted to send me away to get help because 
pillow. I was not okay. And at the time, which is so absurd because that probably would have been the best thing that ever happened to me, but I cared so much about what other people thought. Again, you know, I grew up in a house My mom was a child of alcoholics. Everything was about appearance and showing up and being a certain way. And like, here I was having a complete nervous breakdown, not functional, so ashamed of myself. And the idea that people would know that I had to get sent away to get help, you know, just so stupid because I cared so much. But I literally the next day started weaning myself off the drugs so that they wouldn't send me away. That was like, period, the motivation. Just I was going to say, like, what was that turning point for you? it's amazing because that's not usually the case right that's what I've heard (laughs) that's what I've learned since then I mean that external validation and it was that was a driving force for me and also I, I had no idea that I was as strong and empowered that I am I had no idea like the power and the self discipline it took to do that alone in four months like I did that And of course I had the support of my family and I was very loved and held and cared for in the midst of it. But like, yeah, I did that. And I'm so proud of myself because like, holy hell, I, I, but I think, and also in the same vein, my pain was so bad and I had hit such a wall that I was like, whatever I'm doing obviously isn't working. So something has to get like something has to change. And So yeah, and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I mean, getting off of those drugs, I was a shell of a human. I was a a shadow of myself, which you don't even realize when you're in the midst of it. I know you know this. Like, And when we numb our pain, we also numb every good, beautiful thing in our lives. So I just, all I saw was darkness and hopelessness. And I felt parked on the lane of victimhood. I was parked in the lane of my pain. I, you know, had so many limiting stories believing I was going to hurt like that for the rest of my life. And that's it. And coming off the drugs and allowing myself to actually feel my pain, emotional, physical, spiritual, it opened up the space for me to actually experience. And of course, this was with time and with practice and with intention, but to experience joy and beauty and goodness and you can't have one without the other. And I remember in the midst of it, reading this quote, it's a Khalil Gibran quote, who's like now one of my favorite philosophers, but it's from the prophet. And it says, the deeper sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And I was like, I remember just bawling my eyes out in my nephew's bed, you know, in his little LSU tiger, everything, memorabilia everywhere. And I'm just bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, that's going to be my story. I'm going to get to experience joy on such a like profoundly deep soul level, not despite this pain, but because of it. And, you know, at the beginning, it was just going through the motions. I had to relearn how to live. I had to make a list of like, I would watch my nephews. I'm like, what do people do all day? I literally laid in my bed and watched reality TV and ate my feelings and took drugs. Like what, what the hell do people do all day? And, and then I remember a few weeks into it, it was actually so cool. I don't know if it was, who knows, my higher self, God, universe, my dad, my guides, who the hell knows, but something told me to make a list of things that I had loved before I had pain because I hadn't done anything that would make my pain worse. So I did nothing because everything made my pain worse. And I was like, Ruthie, what did you love before pain? Like, I had to like go back and remember because I didn't love anything at that point, you know? And I was like, you, you love flowers. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, yes, you love them. I wrote, you love sunsets. I mean, as a kid, I would lay on my roof. I could crawl onto my roof and I could watch the sky. I would, I was obsessed with the sky. I was obsessed with sunsets. I was obsessed with the stars and I'm like, I don't care about that right now. I'm like, yes, you do. You care. And I remember writing, like, you love people. And at the time, I'm like, no, I do not. <laughs> people are the fucking worst. <laughs> like, yes, you do. You love people. And so then I, I would make myself do one of those things on that list each day. And at first, I felt nothing. When I say I felt numb and dead inside, it was literally just going through the motions. And now, I know that like 
the motion has to come before the emotion. And something in me, a higher part of me trusted that or just hoped for that. I'm like, I made myself. It was like a willing, I had to make myself go out and I would, it was almost like part of my job. I'm like, go out, sit and watch that sunset and speak about the things that you see are beautiful, even if you don't feel that it's beautiful. And I started doing that and I, you know, it was so interesting and it was slow. It wasn't like this overnight thing, but slowly the emotions started coming and deeper and stronger. And, and I remember having this one day where I, my dad and I loved this flower called Magnolia Fiscata and my brother had it in his backyard and I was in the back and I smelled it. And I just started crying and it wasn't the sad cry. It was this like, that's the most beautiful. I felt him. I felt his presence. I felt that love. I felt transported back to, you know, us experiencing it together on our farm. And I remember having this vision of myself in like second grade, getting glasses for the first time and being like, mom, look at the sky. Look at the look at the trees. And that's how I started feeling. It's like getting off these drugs and experiencing the goodness around me. It was like I had these new eyes. It's like the pain, the depths of me experiencing my pain gave me this depth to have like these new lenses to see, to actually see. And I'm like looking at my nieces and nephews and most of them were born while I lived in my bed. And all of a sudden I'm seeing them for the first time. And they can like make me cry. They are the most miraculous, beautiful miracles. These children, like, I can't even tell you, I'm so in love with them and I'm so obsessed with them. And I had not seen them. I had not seen them. And so that just sent me on this beautiful journey. And it was so painful and so hard and so incredible. And so much has happened since then. Like my marriage ended and that was obviously brutal. But I also like all of this, And so much more has happened since. And, but I now can look back at all of it, like all of the pain, all the trauma, all of the loss, all were ultimately the entry points, the invitations for me to actually come home to myself and to do the healing work that I'm so deserving of, that we are all so deserving of. And for so long, I looked outside of me, like doctor, fix me, make me better. Husband, fix me, make me better. Daddy, fix me, make me better. You know, medicine, fix me, make me better. And nothing outside of us can ever quote unquote cure us and fix us. Thank God. Because if it did, I would never have done this work. I would have never come home to myself and done the deep dive and woken up and woken up to consciousness and woken up to the connectivity of everything and woken up to the mind-body connection and realizing that this healing is always for me, that we were created to heal, that our bodies, our hearts, our spirits, our emotions, like we are, our bodies are so wise. And I just, you know, I had so many limiting stories. I'm like, I'm the only human in the world that's had a wire in their brainstorm. I'm going to hurt. I hurt worse every year for 14 years. And I just believe that was my journey. And it wasn't until writing my book that cracked me open because I had to re-traumatize myself while not on drugs this time and relive because our brain. I know that pain. I did the same thing last year. Brutal. Everyone's like, how great was it writing a book? It was so therapeutic, right? Oh God, it's the worst nightmare of my life. And the most important thing I've ever done. I agree. On the deepest deep dive healing journey that I just didn't know was possible. And, you know, going in, we can't heal something we don't allow ourselves to feel. And going into our stories and doing this healing work gives us the opportunity to then also release it. Like, I don't feel bound by this trauma story anymore. I had to go in and relive it and let myself be traumatized so I could do this healing work. And now I just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't have the power over me anymore. You know, like it allowed me to let go, to release, to come back to this present moment, to understand that like, again, going back to the woo-woo shit I said earlier, I think I chose all of this. I think it's what my soul needed to expand. And like, even if I always think that's not, they're like, you were raped when you were five years old. You think you chose. And I'm like, it's not, I just knew, I knew going in the amount of the pain threshold that I needed to experience in this lifetime to break through, to create 
the next generations that don't have, you know what I mean? In my family that don't have to go through this. And so, you know, even the blood clots in my lungs, it's almost like these things continue to happen until you finally surrender enough to go, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm desperate. I'm willing. I surrender. I'm, where do we need to go? What do I need to do? How dark does it need to get? I'm here for it. That's right. I feel like right now in our planet, collectively, we're at that point. And I'm getting a lot of questions of like, how are you remaining so peaceful? And I just want to make it really clear that I'm certainly not. I'm feeling all of the things like everybody else is. But there is this now it's hard because we're talking about big things. We're talking about the death of your father and the abuse of my childhood. And right now the death of George Floyd. And it's like, it shouldn't take these things to wake us up. But for some reason it has to, and that doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it feel better. No, it's horrific. But for some reason, it needed to happen. I think, you know, this time is such a reckoning and it's it's time that we all need to wake up. And I have been, you know, I would have coined myself as, you know, anti-racist. I've been doing this work for like three or four years. And oh my God, understanding that I am a part of the problem that this systemic racism has lived within me. Like I heard this quote that there's like three different types of white people. There's the white racist that is actually doing the work to like unlearn, to understand the systemic racism that lives within them, like the air that we've been breathing our whole entire effing lives and, you know, all the ways that that's played out. There's the white racist that is completely clueless that they're racist and they think it's everyone else and it's only bad people. And then there's the obvious like KKK, white supremacist. But we all have this in us. And I'm actually going through a book club right now because me and white supremacy, it's so important. And it's so So important. Oh my God. And I'm like, I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to knock down everything that I've been doing with work so far and re- build in a way that is the most expansive, inclusive, anti-racist work that I can possibly do. I, I will refuse. And I haven't spoken on anything in a long time where it wasn't representative of all colors, but the amount of times I've shown up at freaking conferences and I'm looking in the crowd and I'm like, this is 90% white people and healing should not be a privilege. This should not be a space that is just for white people. This is fucking insane and I won't do it anymore. And so I'm actually, well, I can't talk about it quite yet, but I'm creating this thing with a friend. He's like, he is this beautiful black man who is my soul brother. Like I know that we have done many, many lives together and he is like this incredible activist and he's helping me create this thing where that just doesn't have to keep happening. It shouldn't take people dying or massive accidents or whatever it feels like, you know, like my mind wants to go, oh, it shouldn't take all of these black people and all of these black trans women and all of these children on our borders and all of the refugees for us to care about climate change and all of these horrible things for us to care. But for whatever reason, it is. And I think the most important thing, and this is why I so value your story and everybody else who's come on this podcast to share theirs is that I want people to feel that like, if they feel like they don't have enough to move on, if they don't feel like they have anything to contribute to this world, if they feel like they're so broken, they have no resources, there's no way out. You can do it. And you're a testament to it. So everyone thinks, Oh, well, you need tons of money to turn your life around and all of these different things. No, you don't. I got sober on the floor of a jail cell, you know, vomiting my brains out and 
you know, thankfully was scholarship to go to treatment, but that's not even what really kept me sober. It was community. It was the rooms of AA. It was just getting on my knees every morning and praying to God, please just keep me sober for one, one more day. And for you, it was this moment of like, well, wait, if this isn't working anymore, I can get off the hamster wheel. I can get off. Yeah. I love that. What you just said, they say it, um, at on-site, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but community. And like we heal in community. And I, I, you know, I think for me, the biggest part of my healing journey has been unlearning so many of the limiting stories that have been taught to me. I was in a church that told me I was this broken, depraved wretch. And listen, I believed it with every part of me. I thought I was broken. I thought something was inherently wrong with me. And unlearning those stories and remembering the inherent value of because I am breathing and I'm on this planet, I matter and I am worthy and I'm good and I'm deserving and I'm whole and I'm loved and I'm light as is every other soul on this planet. And the more I go in and do this work and go inside and go turn internally, the more I remember, the more I can unwind those crazy effed up stories that we've been taught by the patriarchy and we've been taught by our churches and we've been taught by family and by culture and by our president. And I think for me, the more I do this work, the more I am able to step into the world. And and it's, it's the unlearning is remembering what's so right with us and not what's wrong with us. Yes. The unlearning is really just coming home to who you really are and accessible right now for everybody that's listening to this podcast. And I want people to get this, the CBD, I've talked about this before, the CBD and the face masks and the ayahuasca trips and the yoga classes and the shaman you're seeing and all of that stuff is fine and good, but you can tap into it right now. I remember that moment of brokenness in my sobriety, six years in crying, thinking, there's, there's no hope. This is it. I'm just going to have 15 panic attacks a day until I die. And I, you know, I'm just going to live like this forever and putting my feet on the ground, putting my hand on my heart, feeling my heart beating, taking in a breath and going, you're perfect. You're perfect. You were perfect. Then you were perfect. When you're shooting up on the streets, you were perfect. When you were a little innocent child, you were perfect this entire time. And that perfection is that light in you is available to everybody right now. It doesn't matter what's the worst thing that you've done. No, you are so, that, I mean, I literally say like at the end and at the beginning of my book, I'm like, listen, when you finish this, I hope you forget all about me. I hope you forget my story because you don't need me. This love, this light, this hope, this healing, all of this is yours you don't need us. We're going to like move on the fuck out of here because you don't need us. This is yours. This love is yours. And I think that for me, realizing that healing was for me, that this isn't something out externally or something that's just for other people, that this is for me has been such a profound, beautiful unlearning. Um, We are never broken. There's no such thing as original sin. That's not even in the Bible. Those words aren't in the Bible. You are good and whole and worthy. If you're breathing right now, you're inherently worthy and deserving and so loved and filled with so much light. And that would be my hope for anyone listening is that they know that this is theirs. This is for them. It's not unique to us. This is for you. Yeah. Oh God, that was like, yes, please, everybody take that away from this podcast. We've touched on it before when I've had controversial guests on and I'm like, people are like, why would you ever have this person on? It's like, because that person is perfect. You know what I mean? They're at the stage of where they need to be in their lives right now. And that's okay. And I think while we're talking about how to heal and racism and accountability and all of these things, you know, I love my, like I was talking about my girlfriend actually earlier, but Ashley always says we need to learn how to hold people accountable and hold space for them at the same time. And I think that 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 sums up my experience of like me being able to hold myself accountable and holding space for me at the same time, right? Where it's like you are 
the creator of your destiny and your future. You're taking your power back, right? And I'm holding you accountable to do the work, to do the gut-wrenching soul excavation that it takes to do this. And I'm going to hold space for you and have grace for you along the journey. Yes. And it starts with us. Like we have to do that for ourselves first. And that's not selfish. But if I am like going in and doing this work on myself and excavating the systemic racism and bias and, you know, doing shadow work and seeing to be a wholehearted human, that allows me to step into the world from abundance and be a mirror and a space holder of that for everyone. And if I'm not doing that work on myself, I'm going out and I'm needing to be needed. That's actually self-serving, not going in and doing this on yourself first. That's the most loving way. Heal people, heal people, hurt people, hurt people, period, end of story, enlightened people, enlightened people. And so you get you're so deserving of this work and you get to do this. And it's, it, that, what, how empowering, like we're not victims. We get to go in and take our power back and do this healing work on ourselves. That, that is so empowering to me. Like it's my responsibility. It, some of the things that happened to me might not be my fault. And I'm, I inherited a lot of trauma in my family and from past lives and from my mom and her mom. And And so, you know, that might not be quote unquote my fault, but I can go in and do this healing work that can do healing for them and for future generations. And what a privilege. I know. I feel like it's a gift. I had carried so much resentment towards my parents for so long. And then it was only in this last year that I realized, oh, I've got a resentment there. And the resentment is why did I have to be the one that carried the burden of breaking the cycle of breaking the cycle? And I was realizing that even in my parenting, because I have two little kids, um, I felt this like, oh, I've got to be perfect all the time. And I can't go through any trauma at all and all the stress. And I was like, wait, no, they chose me. They knew what they were coming here for. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, and I'm not in control. I am not in control. As much as I want to think that I'm in control of all things. (laughs) That's cute. Really cute. You're so I know I, we all have these. I mean, I think that's what Corona more than anything taught us. Like we think we have this. I mean, I had a whole big book tour plan. We had, I was supposed to be traveling from literally January through midsummer. How cute. (laughs) I know. Right. I mean, but it's perfect because it's exactly what's meant to be. And at first it was so disappointing trying to put, you know, my first book out into the world in the midst of all this. And then, and I allowed myself to feel disappointment. It's disappointing. And that's normal. That's human. But in the same breath, in that both and statement, this is a book about trauma and loss and death and heartache and pain and isolation. (laughs) And I'm like, it's the book that everybody literally needs right now. (laughs) This out right now, like what an honor, you know, and that reframing really shifted a lot. It was such a release and a letting go. I'm like this, you know, how this book does, it's really none of my business. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. And I get to just get out of the way, you know, that's, that's how I've, I always, that too. And I said, you know, I feel this calling to do this book. I don't know why. And now I know, right. Because it was like, I needed to go in and do more work. Yep. And, and then I just get out of the way. Yeah. And then I get out of the way and what a gift to have that kind of perspective. You know what I mean? And, you know, I just, I'm so grateful that you came on and it's been such an honor hearing your story face to face. Um, If you guys want to pick up her book to learn more and to get the more in-depth version, there I am is available now, wherever books are sold, right? I believe so. And also if you're interested um, on my website, which is just ruthylindsey, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y.com. Um, you can download the first chapter for free and you can kind of get a feel for it. And there's also book club material on my website. And I'm actually really excited. I'm actually um, in the next few weeks launching a coaching 
offering. So that's going to be coming and there's a newsletter and yeah, there's all kind of fun stuff on there. But then the other way that I stay in touch with people is just Instagram, which is just at Ruby Lindsay. So I'd love to stay in touch with y'all and stay connected and really honored that you had me on. Thank you so much. I'm really, really, really grateful. I've loved getting to talk to you and hear um, more about your story. And this has been really life-giving. So I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. This week's affirmation is, I am divinely guided, loved, and protected each and every day. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 